You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Dan Kiesler is going to share with us this morning. I think most of you know he's joined our team. He's just not been available much until his house sells, so that's close. He's on the home stretch. But Dan and Kara are just great folks. We're so glad you're a part of us. So why don't we welcome Dan this morning. Thanks, buddy. Ladies and gentlemen, Robin, beautiful man. Amen. Well, (laughs) sorry, Robin, that didn't go over well. Um, I was just... Authenticity. (laughs) I was just telling him how grateful we are to just to be in this environment. Um, just to be in a place where people show up and the main goal is to just be with Jesus uh, is extremely refreshing. And for Kara and I, it's just, it's home. You know, that's home base, not just this room, but that place of um, really living in this pursuit of constant abandonment to to where he is. And um, and I want to thank our just worship team too, um, just for that authenticity, to know that we're not just singing songs, but there's a weight and a hunger and a purity that's carried. It, it just brings something to the room that's that's so valuable and unfortunately not that common. So uh, give them a hand really quick just for being amazing. Um, so here's my agenda this morning. I just want to chase the Lord a little bit this morning. Um, I've got probably... Uh, my notes are probably a nine-month series for this morning, um, and I really feel like it's all the Lord, and there's no way that we're getting to all of that, so I'm just going to try to find the pulse of Jesus this morning and, and follow that a little bit, but I'm going to pray. And Father, God, I thank you that um, you're here, and God, I thank you that it's in this this place that our greatest agenda is not the program, but it's your presence. you got to thank you that your presence can transform what years of effort never could. And God, I just pray that your presence would be the most potent thing here this morning. God, I pray that you would speak to us. God, that you would um, just bring hearts to life, bring restoration where it needs to be, and bring wholeness where it's needed. God, I pray that we just hear from the weight of who you are this morning. We trust you and we love you. Amen. How many guys know that um, God is a bridge builder? Right? And we know this because Jesus was the ultimate bridge. He was the ultimate bridge between the human, the divine, this bridge between heaven and earth. Jesus was this bridge for um, so many different streams to merge and come together. And I was originally going to do something around Easter, but my heart just kept coming back to this um, picture of God building these bridges. And Acts 2 is kind of one of those bridges, and we don't always see it that way, but maybe this morning we can look at it um, from a different angle. But God has this capacity and this grace to build bridges, and I think that's what's on his heart. And if God's a bridge builder, that means the church is also called to be a bridge 
builder, right? We're supposed to be bridges of heaven into earth, right? The ecclesia of, the, uh, uh, of God is to literally be the culture carriers and establishers of heaven on earth, which means we're building bridges. And when I think about Acts chapter 2, and I love Acts chapter 2 because it's like the highlight reel for charismatics, it's the moment, right? Um, and coming from a church that we planted, I, I could say half of our church is like, came from charismania, and half of that church came from anti-tongue talkers, right? Like just hated that stuff. Um, and I love that because it brought us to the same table where Jesus was the real issue anyway. Um, but anytime you'd bring up Acts 2, it's like the charismatics got excited and everyone else got nervous, and it was just awesome. I love it. Um, but it's funny because Acts 2 actually brought things together. It didn't separate things, right? It was building a bridge. And I love so much the word uh, David shared last week about the Holy Spirit being a person because I believe so often we reduce him to an accessory, especially for charismania, but he really is a person that's doing life with you. He's not just some gift that is on you, right? And you see this in Acts 2, and I want to jump out of John 17 a little bit. I'm going to share just a, a little bit of a, a story, mile marker in our journey But I was thinking about Jesus, and John 17 is one of my favorite passages because you get this glimpse into what's on the heart of Jesus, right? It's this one kind of long snapshot that's been stretched out for almost a whole chapter where Jesus is praying, and you see this full view of the Trinity having a conversation with himself, some in heaven, some in earth, and I can only envision what the Holy Spirit's doing, this kind of refreshing screen symbol of just going in between both paradigms, but you get to see what Jesus would pray for, right? Which is powerful. And you get to see what was on the heart of Jesus. And if it's on the heart of Jesus, he and the Father being one, means it's also on the heart of the Father. And if it's on the heart of the Father and the Son, that means it's also on the heart of the Holy Spirit. So that when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, he's coming with what is on his heart. And so when you look at what Jesus is praying, and there's so many things, I just want to pull out three uh, this morning, that means when Acts chapter 2 comes in, the Spirit blows and it fills them. It's empowering them to be the fruit of Jesus' prayer in John 17. And I'm going to give a quick disclaimer. Um, I love, like, just the weirdness of God. How many of you guys love the weirdness of God? And I said, as a Baptist kid who grew up, got filled with the Holy Spirit, like, just had no grid. For, I didn't even have language for it. Um, but God just does weird stuff sometimes. I mean, they're in an upper room and tongues of fire show up. That's like, come on. That's, that's something I would do. You know, like, hey guys, let's light some tongues on fire and throw them in the room. That'd be hilarious. Um, but God does weird stuff. But at the same time, he somehow builds a bridge between what's weird and what's everyday, Right? I mean, Jesus is walking on water, healing the sick and raising the dead, but the everyday person was drawn to him. Isn't that crazy? Um, and I don't think when the Spirit moves, it's exclusive. Or, yeah, it's not exclusive, it's inclusive. And you see this in Acts 2, and it's on the heart of Jesus. But I want to look at three things on the heart of Jesus really quick. John 17, I've kind of nitpicked this a little bit. Um, John 17, 3. Here's a statement he makes in his prayer. He says, now this is eternal life. 
And here's what's on his heart. That they know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That they know you. So it's on Jesus' heart that we would know the Father. And not just the Father, but the Son, right? This is on His heart, which is to be known. Now, when I say that, God just doesn't want to be known as God. He wants to be known the way that He actually is. And culture in the day struggled with how God actually was. Jesus is the first real representation of the Father, and they miss it. They're tripping over it. They're stumbling because of it. But He was the actual first panned-out view of what the Father was actually like, because He really wants us to know Him, right? And this other thing that was on Jesus' heart, it's in verse 15. And I love this one. It says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. I love this. Which means we're here on purpose, right? And the purpose isn't to hide, just to escape later. The purpose is for a purpose, right? And this is Jesus' prayer, and we'll unpack it in a minute. And the third thing that he does uh, that I want to talk about is verse 20 through 22. He says this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. And I love this line, that they may be one as we are one. That they may be one as we are one. Well, how were they one? They were one in the context of family, right? The Trinity in itself is this family. He comes and he reveals himself with even the titles of family, father and son, right? So when God starts to reveal what's on his heart in this passage, there's three things that stick out to me. It's this element of faith that knows the father, And faith means that I don't just know the Father, I don't just know who He is, but I also know what He's done, and then I also know that what that means for me. If I know the Father, then I know who I am as a son or a daughter. Then there's this element of hope where He says, I pray, God, that you don't take them out of the world, but that you protect them. Which means we're here for a mission, for an assignment, to be the very express image of who He is. In the world around us. And then this last one was, I pray that they're one as we are one. I pray that they are, I'm going to say it like this, that they are family. That they're family. Right? And you know what I love about that term? Is it means not everyone's the same, but it's the thing that holds us together. Family is not a context in which everyone looks, sounds the same, or has the same preference or opinion. In fact, the church should be full of people who have a lot of different perspectives. And I know that can breed arguments, but that's what family does, right? But family also does this. It creates this statement that no matter what, like if I think of my daughter, um, I don't care what she does someday, it will never sever the context of family. Even if she, let's say she picks the, I don't have a political side of the aisle, but let's say she uh, she picks one. Well, guess what? It's not going to sever the fact that she's family. So if the church is called to be family, why in the world do we fight over what aisle we're on or what side of the fence we're on? Man, too many things divide the church, and what's on the heart of Jesus is that the church would be family, right? 
So in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes not just to empower us for good church. And again, I love good church, whatever. But he comes to empower us to bear the fruit of what was on the heart of God. Right? That we would know him, that we would know who we are, that we would be on assignment, salt and light in the world, and that we would really, truly be able to become family. I want to share this story, and I I don't know why I'm sharing this story, but it just hit me during worship um, this morning. When we started um, our church, and we didn't know we started a church, it snuck up on us. Um, But we started it 12-ish years ago. And again, growing up in a Southern Baptist church kind of paradigm, got away from the Lord, went the other way, and then kind of came back to the Lord, and it was just a supernatural, sovereign thing. I got filled with the Holy Spirit in my car alone one day, like, I didn't even know what that was, right? Um, I thought I was demon-possessed after, you know, and had to go through some things. Um, But it forever altered my life, like it completely changed my life. Um, And so, coming out of that kind of experience, I was just like, on fire, right? Um, like kick butt, take names, type, you know, like type fire. Like you just didn't care what anybody thought. You're here to preach the gospel. You're going to deliver the world, man. Just thought you're bulletproof. And I was for a few years until I got shot. Um, but it set me on this journey of just radical expression. And God was in it. And we started our church, and it really was just a move of God. It was just a move, like we're, we're seeing miracles, we're seeing people set free, we're seeing um, all kinds, and we didn't know what we were doing. Like, it was just God's grace on us. We were just hungry, we were passionate, um, and God was showing up. And for the first few years, you know, we were kind of that Acts 2 church, that revival church. And we didn't care what anybody thought. You're not going to quench the spirit here. And, you know, like, we just didn't care. You know, offended more people than we helped, for sure. Um, and I remember a few years in, a friend of mine was there, and he's given a, just a word. Some some of you would know this term. It was a word of knowledge. Okay. And it was a good word. It was fine. It was a prophetic word. He's on stage. And I'm sitting there. And clear as a bell, the Lord speaks to me. He said, stop quenching the spirit. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We, of course, you think it's the devil. Um except I don't talk to him very often. So I knew it wasn't. It was the Lord. And I thought, man, God, what are you talking about? Like, we're the spirit church. Like, we're the, we're doing it, you know? Like, so I shook it off. And the Lord spoke again really clear. He's like, you're, you're quenching the spirit. And I couldn't shake it. And I, I was like, God, what are you talking about? My friend's giving this word. I'm sitting on the front row. And I'm just like having this dialogue with the Lord. And the Lord started to just show his heart to me. Right, um, because what was true, we we deeply valued this upper room kind of experience, and what really had become a model, and we were trying to reproduce that, and it was fine for a season, but it wasn't actually what was on his heart. 
And I thought, God, well, what's the Spirit doing? Because sometimes we think the Spirit's just doing Spirit stuff, like tongues and uh, prophecy and all that cool stuff. But here's what the Holy Spirit was doing, um, at least in our region. And I want to say this also carefully. This is not a cut and paste for every church model. I'm not trying to paint a picture for a church model here. This was our specific uh, season and assignment. But I said, well, what's the Spirit doing? He said, I'm trying to draw this city, this, it's a town up there, but I'm trying to draw this community to know me. And the way you're doing it is keeping them out. And it, man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And it was one of those moments I didn't like because I didn't want to be challenged on our style of church. And probably for the next couple months, that dialogue started. And Acts 2 is one of the places the Lord took me to. Um, But he wanted to build a bridge, right? And I thought, God, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean how we're doing things? Um, And it wasn't a call to, like, seeker-sensitive model. It wasn't a call to, like, water something down or to hide the fact or whatever. It It wasn't anything like that. It was a different perspective, Right? And for the next couple of months, God kind of unpacked strategically these little adjustments and things we needed to think about. And sure enough, within a year, the climate of our church switched to being just a stream to reflecting the region around us, right? Now, I want to say this. Some places are probably called to be a stream, a movement, and that's, that's great. Uh, for us, we had a passion to see the kingdom come on earth as in heaven, not just in four walls of our church, but in our region, right? And we realized the way that we were doing it was the greatest hindrance and stumbling block for the region. And I immediately wrestled with God, how do we see like the miraculous? How do we uh, not compromise anything and also be a space for these people to come in and not be so abstract that they're lost? Uh, And I still don't know the answer, but God graced us um, somehow to do it. And to this day, the church is made up of so many streams that would have never set foot in there. And here's what's happened since, like, I've seen more miracles in that season than we ever did when it was this awesome Holy Ghost movement. The miracles aren't always the same. Because back then in the early days, like, I hope this is okay this morning. I'm kind of just going off card, but oh, we, don't, we don't have a card. Um, in the early days, like, we take anything as a miracle. And we've seen cancer healed. We've seen tumors disappear, like stuff like that. But we also sometimes, somebody's going to try to grow a leg out an eighth of an inch and be like, whoa, did you see that? I'm like, nope. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Um, But then I saw the miracle of those who theologically were completely shut off to any idea of him being father, any idea of there being a functioning Holy Spirit, any idea of God's grace. I saw the miracle of those in religious bondage come to know the father and their life be changed forever. And you know what I found out? That's way more valuable than growing a leg out an eighth of an inch. And I love, grow legs, fine. I'm going to say don't grow your leg, grow your legs. 
But I had reduced the move of the Spirit to the show. And what the Spirit was doing was drawing his family home. And when I think of Romans, he says, man, if it's what you're doing that causes your brother to stumble, think about it. Maybe don't do it. It doesn't mean compromise. It doesn't mean water down. I'm very cautious with, with that because I think God will give us grace for those things. But when they're talking about that meat and drink, he's essentially saying, hey, if the way you worship is the greatest hindrance to me, think about it. And this is where I realized we were, and I realized, man, we were quenching the Spirit out of good hearts, out of passionate hearts, and out of pure hearts trying to protect this beautiful and sacred purity of just letting God show up and do whatever. But man, when we pivoted, everything changed. And there was so much more to celebrate. Because we were no longer chasing a manifestation. We were seeing an entire culture come to know the Father through the settlement of faith. Come to know not just who they are as sons and daughters, but why they are as sons and daughters. Bringing this element of hope to the city, to the town around them. Um, but also seeing these streams merge to become one family without having to agree. And I thought, man, that is a miracle. Now, I don't know what it's like in Charlotte, but put that in the context of small town mountains of North Carolina, that is a miracle because that should have never happened there. But God did it, right? And as we unpacked to this day, I still go back to these moments and I realize, man, this is what's on the heart of God. Jesus doesn't prefer one model of church over the other. He doesn't prefer one style of worship over the other. What's on the heart of God is that we would know him so that we could know us. What's on the heart of God is that we really would be salt and light in the world to represent him just by being the thing that he's called us to be, that hope would come to the world. And what was on the heart of Jesus is that we would learn what it really means to be a family that's greater than the barriers of division. And so when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, he's carrying what's on his heart. And he's empowering the church not just to do the spirit stuff, and that is certainly an element of it, but he's empowering the church to know him and help others know, to be hope in the places they inhabit. He's empowering the church to merge together. I mean, you've got to think of the context here. The church is no longer uh, this idea that's built up of just like the Jews and God's people. He's enlarged the circle to include anyone and everyone and it's a cultural collision, right? There's speed bumps everywhere. And so they need the Holy Spirit to navigate it. When we have read this for weeks about the fruit of the Spirit, why do you think he's telling them about the fruit of the Spirit? Because they need to know how to navigate each other while all of this is merging together. They need to know about patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control because not everybody's like everybody else. And if we're going to be family, we need the fruit of the Spirit to get there, right? If we're going to bring hope to the nations, we need the fruit of the Spirit to get there. And if we're going to know Him, we need His help, right? 
And it shows up, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, we'll pull a couple verses out, but you see this element of faith immediately. The Holy Spirit comes, it fills them, and I love the fact that uh, Peter, who was this denier of Jesus just uh, uh, just a, a, a few days earlier, now all of a sudden Peter's the one who's leading the charge, right? So the Holy Spirit does something, it empowers you, it brings this thing that separates you from fear and empowers you to be bold, and Peter is that boldness, and he's championing now this element of faith. Acts 2.22, it is where Peter has gotten up and he's starting to preach basically the gospel. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you, uh, accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, nailing him to the cross. And here's the gospel part. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible uh, for death to hold him. Like, And there's so much more that Peter unpacks about the gospel, but it's a moment, right? Peter, who ran away, now is the one preaching. And who's he talking to? Not those in the upper room. He's talking to the city. You understand Acts chapter 2 is one of the biggest moments you see God build a bridge from what we think sometimes is just sacred into the everyday. If it stayed in the upper room, it would have been a movement, would have been a moment. But it wasn't about the upper room, it was about the open door. Because outside the open door were those who had gathered. The Bible says in Acts 2, from every nation under heaven... Streams had merged into this city, and the Holy Spirit shows up not just to teach them how to speak in tongues and be really good at it. He shows up so that every stream in the city could hear and know God in a way that they could understand. So Peter's preaching the gospel. Hey, here's who he is. Now, there's no doubt, like, the Spirit's moving in a way that it drew attention, and the city was curious, and they're kind of laughing at it and mocking it, and at the same time uh, wondering what's going on. And so Peter stands up, and he's bringing clarity to this weird moment. Undeniable that it's weird. But Peter brings clarity. He onboards. He builds a bridge, right? Why? Because that's what was on the heart of Jesus. And he preaches the gospel, and I, I love this too, even in a backdoor sense, even takes ownership and sheds light on it to know that now they're the sons and daughters of God. Here's, here's how he does it. He says, guys, this is that which was prophesied about from Joel. That in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters. But now sons and daughters weren't just the sons and daughters of Israel, they were the sons and daughters of God. So there's an element of faith here where God is, here's what faith is, it's that I believe, I've been persuaded, I've been convinced about who he is. I've been persuaded and convinced about what he's done, this is the gospel part. But I've also been persuaded and convinced about who I am because of it. The Bible says that all creation groans waiting on who we are to manifest, right? That's why that element is so important. And here's Peter preaching the gospel, taking ownership of identity as sons and daughters. 
And the city's listening. Which I think is just amazing. And then there's this element of hope and mission. The city's changing. I always think it's interesting that as the church is being birthed and as God is pouring out His Spirit on the church, simultaneously, the culture around them, especially in this context, Jerusalem, started to shift. Right? Not everyone onboarded, but enough did that culture was changed. Right? Uh, I, I love this uh, passage, Acts 2.41. It says, Those who accepted His message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Mm. This is, here, here's another bridge moment, an ADD moment for me, but it's another bridge moment. You know that when the law was given at Sinai, 3,000 died. But when the gospel is preached at Pentecost, 3,000 are added. Why? Because the law was an exclusive way to God. The gospel isn't. The gospel is an inclusive way that doesn't box anyone out. See, if it was exclusive, it would have stayed in the upper, upper room, but now all of a sudden people are being added, and these aren't church people. This is the city outside the door of an upper room. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions. Now, we don't have to do all that. Um, unless you just want to give, give, give me stuff. I'll take it. Um, to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there's this momentum. There's this thing growing. There's this organism. And what I love about these early days of the church is there was no vision plan. There was no uh, motto under the church brand. There was no uh, admin in the office. Nothing was together. These guys were building around Jesus, not knowing anything, or even having a grid for what the church even is. The Spirit moved, and what was on the heart of the Father and Son shows up. All of a sudden, they're figuring out kind of who God is, who Jesus was. Now they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. But those in the upper room, now empowered to be on assignment, have become the very bridge to see thousands added. So much that it's altered their everyday life. See, this is an element of hope that the kingdom comes in a way that is not exclusive to the God moments of our journey, but it's in the middle of every... Man, God shows up in the most practical places sometimes, and we miss it, Right? I don't want to look for God in a movement when he's sitting in my living room. Because if I don't know him in my living room, then a movement won't fix me. It'll give me a fix, but I'll need it again. But when I really realize, man, the Holy Spirit is a person that is with me, he's inside me, I'm in Jesus, hidden in Christ and God, like all this. When I really, truly start to, by faith, unpack what the gospel has done and how it's repositioned me, I no longer need to chase the upper room because he's sitting in mine. 
And for us in the early day of our church, we realized, man, we're just, we built a model in the upper room. And I love the upper room, man. I love when God does what only he can do. But we're supposed to be on assignment. I think of this. This was one of the things that hit me hard. I was just reading about Elijah. And, you know, the moment where Elijah is kind of having like a suicidal cave dive. And he goes to the Lord and everything's been torn apart. And he's got this awesome view of himself. He's like, God, you know what? Everything's been wrecked. There you go. Robin said it. Everything's been wrecked and I'm the last guy standing. Right? Like, man, God. And the Lord does a few things. Go back and read the story. It's really um, interesting. But he creates enough chaos that he can speak to Elijah in this whisper. And says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, Elijah's already told him why he was there. But he asked him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he goes, God, man, everything's been torn apart the world. He's complaining about the condition of the world. You know what? I realize, and again, I'm, I'm throwing rocks at myself this morning because this was our journey. God, first off, gossiping to God's not prayer, by the way, right? And I realized for us, we had built a model where we had made a bunker out of the upper room. And in an effort to kind of just like protect what was sacred and keep the world from tainting it, we had separated. But you don't see that next to. You don't see them. They were hiding to begin with. They were waiting and there was some level of persecution that I'm sure they were dodging and sweating over. But when the Holy Spirit comes, what was on the heart of God is revealed. And it's not for a church to be sealed in an upper room, safe from the world around them. It's that the door flings open and now they're immersed in the world because they are salt and they are light. And God tells Elijah, Elijah, go Uh, see, sometimes for, for us, it was, I think we realized our, our, our prophetic voice was really just complaining about the condition of the world. When we were the ones to help alleviate the condition. And so it shifted us from an escape mindset or a stay safe mindset into this mission of hope. Because we realize, man, if we're the sons and daughters of God, and all creation's waiting, then we've got to stop hiding. And it didn't mean that we come out in some militant organizational force of uh, shoving Jesus down people's throat. It, it actually meant that we have to be uh, secure enough to sit at the dinner table with people that are going to challenge every fiber of your Christian being. And it's going to take time. Can I, can I say this about mission? We've got to slow the pace. I know Jesus is coming back. Uh, uh, oh my gosh. We, our generation has so much anxiety and urgency that is so not necessary. And it makes sense. We grew up watching Rescue 911 and Unsolved Mystery. So we're, we were bred to be paranoid. But we also grew up on a theology that, hey, if you died right now, 
this urgency of, hey, hurry up. But isn't it weird that God in the flesh comes in for 30 years, doesn't even tell us? It just kind of blends in. He's sitting at the dinner table with people. See, there's a measure of patience, fruit of the Spirit, resting on his life that we see in the Gospels where he understood the long play, the big view, was if I can just sit at the table of a tax collector, I'll shake up enough culture. And they'll get enough view of what the Father's really like. And Jesus comes and he takes us time. You understand the church, we've got to take our time. And we've got to trust God with that time, right? But to sit with people, I think David mentioned this last week, like sometimes the Holy Spirit just shows up. I don't know if you said a campfire or something. Maybe it was a wrestling quote, but um, sometimes he just shows up in a conversation. But if you're only looking for him in an upper room, then sometimes we miss it, right? And again, love the upper room. It's just not the only room in his house. But he tells Elijah to go back. Because there was something on Elijah's life that the condition needed. And it's in that place that we really get to see hope come to the city that we live in. Again, last thing on his heart was this massive mandate. And we see this in Ephesians 4 too, but it's this call to unity. Like real, true unity. And unity does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that we all look, sound the same, like the same stuff. It doesn't even mean that we all have the same theology. Some of the big buckets kind of got to be there, but most of the buckets we divide over, we don't even have a period for. We've concluded things where God never put a period anyway. And we fight over who's right. Well, no one is. God is, right? What is right is the church is supposed to be a family designed to be stronger than that. And you see this in the climate of Acts 2. Well, the city's gathered, right? But also the nations have gathered. Not just Jews, but converts. And one of the beautiful things that happen is the Holy Spirit empowers them. Now, this isn't just angelic language. This is an actual language that was understood. He empowers them so that as they start to testify who God is, every stream could hear it. They could relate. It was, in a, it was in a way, it was communicated in a way that was relevant. This is what the Holy Spirit did, by the way. So in their church strategy, this was what the Holy Spirit was doing, right? And every stream that believed started to merge. Started merging. Those three things on the heart of Jesus in John 17 are literally happening in Acts chapter 2. They're being birthed. They're being stirred. Now, they're going to have to walk it out and figure out how to not just become one, but stay one. But the family of God was being born. I think it's amazing, right? I think it's important to note there's a cultural element to that scene, right? <laughs> you got to be so careful with terms right now, but what you saw at the table of Jesus and his own disciples 
is what you're seeing in Acts 2 when a bridge was built from the upper room to the city. It wasn't exclusive, it was inclusive. And there were people who would have disagreed with one another merging at this moment. If 3,000 people were added, that's a lot of different opinions. It's a lot of different culture. It's a lot of different political views. And that's a lot of knees bending to him. It's what the Holy Spirit was doing. Pentecost is one of the biggest bridges to the world around us. And I think that's still what's on God's heart. Right? I think so often, and this was certainly me and sometimes still is, but I think so often we're looking for an event. When the reality is you are the event, right? All creation's groaning. It's waiting on an event. No, no, no. It's waiting on you. It's waiting on us to simply be the thing that we have been bought to be, to know him. Let me say it like this, to know who we are, to know why we are. But it's also how we are that builds a bridge for the world. It's how we are that invites them in. It's how we are that we have to think about. Jesus was a master bridge builder. From a farmer to a fisherman to a tax collector, he knew how to build a bridge, never compromised the gospel, never hid the miraculous, never had to dodge anything or dilute it. He just knew how to turn it into something they could interpret. And he was onboarding people into the heart of God and a revelation of the Father, left and right. Jews, non-Jews. He was a master bridge builder, right? And that bridge builder knelt down in John 17. I don't know if he knelt. Maybe he didn't. And he basically asked for multiplication. Can I sum it up? This is my version of the Bible. Don't quote me this on Facebook because that sounds blasphemous. But he basically said, hey, you know, Father... Make them like me. This is my prayer. That they know you the way that I do. God, that they know why they are, that they stay in this world and represent something that's greater than what's around them. And then, God, make them family like we are family. Let Let them taste and see what it looks like to not be crippled by diversity, but be empowered by it. So when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2, he brings the heart of God and empowers them, not just to speak in tongues, but to be the bridge for the city to come to the Father. I think it's just still on his heart. And my prayer for Charlotte is that people would know God They would know him as father. That they would know who they are as his sons and his daughters. That Charlotte would be a city full of hope. And that also out of Charlotte, God would build a family. That wouldn't just survive an era like COVID, but it would thrive. 
and it might be too soon to mention that name, COVID. But I thought it was a sobering wake-up call to the fragility of the church who was actually anointed and empowered to be the very opposite. Amen. Stan, I want to just pray for us for a minute. Also, uh, I didn't mention this earlier, but if I look a little strange today, it's because I have a spasm in my neck. Um, I thought I'd wait till the end just in case you thought I was awkward doing this because I love awkward. Um, yeah, let's close our eyes just for a minute. Here's what's um, beautiful about John 17 is Jesus is praying and he's in a beautiful way, like you can tell he's in and out of the world. He's in and out of the moment. He's in and out of time. He's praying in the earth, yet he's making weird statements like, now I'm no longer in the world, even though he's sitting there. He makes statements like, Father, I've done all that you've given me to do, and he hasn't even been to the cross yet. And when God's talking to himself, it's in this place of eternity, with it's not limited by time, which means this prayer of Jesus didn't stop. It's still happening right now. Those words are still resting on this moment. That for us in this room, his prayer is still that we would know the Father. That we would not be taken out of the world, but we would birth something in the world that brings hope. And also that we would be a family. where streams merge into this beautiful, beautiful place that is Jesus. And so, Father, I just pray this morning, your heart, God, I pray that you give us grace, you give us that Holy Spirit empowerment. God, that you let us be those who bear kindness and gentleness and self-control. Not just for what's in this upper room, and we love those moments we love those experiences but god i pray that you'd put a burn in our hearts for the city outside the door because the greatest the greatest point of view coming in acts 2 wasn't for them to be good at um charismania it was for the city to have a bridge that's what the holy spirit did So God grace us. Um, I, I just want to kind of really quick word too. Just I don't know who this is for, but um, I had this word last night for someone else, and God's just put it on my heart again this morning. But one of the things the Holy Spirit does too is He's this endless replenishment, right? Um, and I had this visual last night of a paint roller because I'm the type of person who would just throw it away because I don't want to wash it. But I decided not long ago to wash one, and I don't I don't like doing that because it takes forever. If you've ever washed a paint roller, anybody know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Because the paint just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. Um. But I just felt like the Lord was saying there's enough water to outlast the paint. 
There's enough replenishment in who he is. So God, I just pray over anyone this morning that feels exhausted, that feels tired. Those who maybe have fought and fought and fought but don't feel like they have seen it, maybe the paint's even diluted, but it's still coming. And here's what I felt like the Lord said is, Paint has an expiration date because it came from a different source, which was the bucket. But water is a source that will always outlast. And so, Father, I just pray just by your spirit, God, replenish those who are tired. Replenish those who don't feel like they see it yet. And give us grace, God. Amen. Awesome. Why don't you sit down one second and we'll finish. During worship, I began to quote um, how good and how pleasant it is. And that's actually the first part of Psalm 133, which talks about the unity um, and what comes from that unity. And I appreciate that so much this morning, Dan. Um, June 20th, 2010, I believe it was, 13 years ago this June, we started the church on Father's Day. And um, the primary message for a number of years was the love of God. Um, That God's a father, he's a good father. That we're a family, that we're not orphans, that acceptance from God always precedes performance. And so I know that's part of what Dan carries, and I appreciate that so much. Um, So thank you. Thank you. Um, We do have opportunities for you to receive some more ministry this morning. If any of you need prayer or word of encouragement, if you'll come to the front, we have a team that will be happy to pray with you, and it will do you good. So everyone else, connect with someone you don't know or someone you'd like to know better, invite them to lunch, do something with them, and have a great week. And we're going to see you next Sunday. And remember, come early, which means on time. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Thank you, Dan. That was great. Appreciate it so much. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.